initializing host playback. Welcome to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast, the podcast about all things metal and everything in between. It is the last episode of the 2023 season before letting 2024 take over our souls and minds for the fourth time in a row. Is 2020 Part 4 starting to hit you like a ton of bricks yet? Yeah, happy February, everybody. We're in for a hell of a ride. Coming up, we wrap up our talk with Steve Crane of Death Doom Band Dusk, and then we will dive into the chaos of tech death band Bacterial Husk. Lots of fun with those guys. But before all of that, we will dive straight back into the Essentials Dungeon for yet another Essential Metal album, suggested by you, of course. All this and so much more. So let's not waste much more time and let's get into the show. I'm Tom McKay and this is the Metal Robot Podcast. And we're going to start by diving straight back down into the Essentials Dungeon. This is the series where we ask you what you, the listener, consider to be an essential album in the metal history books. An album that metalheads should hear at least once in their metal lifetime. This could also be albums that don't people don't immediately talk about when they think of an essential metal album or essential metal music. The last episode we talked about Dream Theater's Octavarium, and in this episode, we're gonna be going for a suggestion, once again diving into the early 2000s, but of metalcore. And this is doubly exciting for me because it's of another one of my favorite bands. In this episode, we're going back to the early days of Killswitch Engage. Back in 01 and 02, Killswitch Engage was still a bit of a fresh band on the scene, and they had also recently, at this time, been picked up by a record label, which was a big deal. It was a cool thing back in the day to be picked up by a record label before everyone had the realizations of selling souls, money, rights, freedoms, and possibly even your baby to record labels when they hit like a ton of bricks attached to your baby. So with this newfound deal, though, they gave some inspiration to give the band their all for their upcoming sophomore release, Alive or Just Breathing. And that is the album we're going to be focusing on in this episode tonight, suggested on Facebook by Kate Stevens. The album, upon release, did pretty well for itself, having sold upwards of 114,000 copies by the time End of Heartache released in 2004. So now we have the question before us for this album. Is this an essential metal album for the average metalhead? Is this essential even for Killswitch Engage fans to dig up at some point? And what was the impact of this album's release on the metal scene as a whole? Yes, really. Let's dive first into the music of this album. If you've heard Killswitch's uh, music before, you've probably already heard this sound. Alive or Just Breathing is arguably the point where, the in the band's career, where their sound kind of came into being and then was built upon by the end of Heartache and As Daylight Dies and so on and so forth. This is an early 2000s metalcore album. There's no way around that. 
it's actually showing a lot more of where metalcore was at the time, very early on, when bands started to include more melody and more mainstream appeal while also still holding on to those hardcore punk roots that were established earlier on in the last decade. And that's easy to spot with this album on the songs, uh, the opening of Numbered Days, the chugging riffs of My Serenade, My Last Serenade, sorry, and even the melodic chorus of The Element of One. Basically, everything you love about Killswitch Engage started to make itself known here in a way that it, arguably their debut just couldn't do, which is very important in terms of the timeline of the band and their subsequent albums to follow. Now, it's not a perfect album, not by a long shot. While the future of the band's sound do have to give thanks to this album's existence, the band is still trying to find its stride in this new voice. Here's how not Killswitch Engage this Killswitch Engage album is, really. Adam D., the lead guitarist for the band, arguably one of the biggest proponents of Metalcore's, uh, or not Metalcore, Killswitch Engage's sound today, was the drummer. He was the drummer. They used to be a four-piece when they were writing this album. They had to become a five after it was done. I don't even know how to process that fact. But even then, Jesse Leach at the time was also, he was good behind the mic, don't get me wrong, but he was not quite there yet. His screams and growls were good, but they lacked, uh, they were clearly rough around the edges, and his clean singing, they lacked confidence in some parts, especially compared to what they would become a decade later. He was not quite there yet. And also, a big thing that some others will point out, he is uh, not Howard Jones. I'm only really mentioning that because I can feel the Howard Jones fans creeping their way into the comments right now for not mentioning Senpai's name in the first five seconds of the piece. You happy now, guys? I brought him up. You can go back down to the shadows. Shut the fuck up. All that aside, though, this was still a great Killswitch Engage album. Not only, not only did this show promise for the band very early on, it laid the groundwork for that Killswitch sound that we'd be getting all time forward. So, is this an essential album for metal? For metalheads in general? Maybe. But for Killswitch especially, for Killswitch fans, yes, it's rough around the edges, but it does mark the starting point for when the band truly started to get their sound. Now, if that's all you needed to know about this album, we can stop here. We don't need to keep going down this particular road. It's essential at least once especially if you are a Killswitch Engage fan. We don't need to go any further. That being said, I'd like to take us on a bit of a detour down why oh why did I go down this particular line of questioning and waste a few hours on a one-off thought that led absolutely butt-fucking nowhere avenue? Because during the research for this review, looking into the background of this particular album, Alive or Just Breathing, I found a quote from a review that had me convinced that the level of importance for this album was beyond the history of the band's sound, of Killswitch Engage's sound, but was also massively important for the existence of mid-2000s metalcore and, indirectly, the existence of modern metal in its current form. 
The quote comes from Eric Thomas of MetalReview.com. Now, Eric claims that, quote, while this album certainly is responsible for the vast amount of saturation, it stands as a pretty trend-setting, stellar must-own example of metalcore before its descent into mediocrity. Howard Jones fans, this review was written in 2005 after the end of Heartache. Enjoy. Now, that quote coming out nearly four years after the release of uh, of, of this particular album, Alive or Just Breathing, claims that it was responsible for the amount of metalcore that was coming out in that period. And if that is true, this album is most likely responsible as well for the rise of metalcore in the mid-2000s and onward, indirectly responsible for the metalcore that we have today, including many of the tendencies that we associate with, as well, modern metal. Now, you, rightfully, might be hearing all this going, Tom, what the fuck are you talking about? And I, I know, I know, I sound like I smoked a bowl of History Channel for Flat Earthers. I'm fully aware of this, but stick with me for just a moment, because this theory might actually have some water that it can uh, float upon. The first point in favor comes down to the metalcore bands that followed this album. Now, while the metalcore genre did not start in the early 2000s with Killswitch Engage, most likely dating back to 1990, uh, 1991's Integrity uh, and their album Those Who Fear Tomorrow, and hardcore punk before that, Baroque before that, Bashing Rocks on a Cave before that, the sound and style of Killswitch Engage, though, was uh, that they were doing had found their traits replicated elsewhere in other bands that came out afterwards. Of course, in the mid-2000s, you had bands like Trivium, All That Remains, uh, As I Lay Dying, Bullet For My Valentine. They started to pop up with some of these traits, as mentioned, from the early 2000s sound of Alive or Just Breathing. Yet, it keeps going as well. Late 2000s rolls around, and this, this comes with, with the rise of bands like A Day To Remember, Devil Wears Prada, Asking Alexandria, Motionless in White, Under Oath, and so many others. It also marks the start of Deathcore the genre that's hated by metalcore, death metal, and even deathcore. It's a great bundle of fun. That's all Whitechapel, Early Bring Me the Horizon, Suicide Silence, Carnifex, Thy Art is Murder, and many other prominent bands that were making this heavier and more extreme version of, this, uh, of the metalcore that was around at the time. And as the next decade comes around, the sound changes again and becomes a bit more electronic, a bit more uh, uh, digital sounding. Architects, Spirit Box, Bad Omens, Polaris, Fit for a King, and even Jared Dines was coming out around this time too. Like, can you imagine what he'd be doing if metalcore did not exist? Seriously, that, that is such a weird thing to think about. I mean, he'd probably still be doing something like this in some form, but... What about the gents? What about the 18 strings? Where would they be? I would assume someone's fence post, but that's such a waste of potential. Give that fence post some fucking strings. And while the later day metalcore genre is a bit harder to nail down in terms of its influences to the early days of metalcore, it's a bit more difficult to make that proper connection in full, it could be said that they would also not exist if it were not for that early days of metalcore getting the ball rolling. Which brings us back 
to alive or just breathing. It came out basically at the perfect time in metal history to have started the train of melodic metal core to influence the where it went as the decade went onward. It just kept going to where we are today. That means that this Killswitch Engage album, not the end of Heartache, not even Alive or Just, uh, As Daylight Dies, Alive or Just Breathing, in fact, was probably significantly responsible for the rise and shaping of modern metalcore and the entire metalcore scene. And many of the traits found themselves in a lot of modern metal as well, which is a big deal. I mean, Yes, it also does mean that it may have been responsible for the existence of Amur, Attila, and Suicide Silence again, but I, I try to think on the positive side here. We are, in fact, in 2020 Part 4. We gotta think positively, guys. That would make this album not just essential for Killswitch Engage fans, but for every metalcore fan out there and beyond to listen to this album at least once, at least once, so that they can hear where the entire melodic metalcore scene began and influenced many of their favorite bands. What a great place to end this segment, I thought, wrapped up in a bow with a fun theory and with hours of research and investigation spent wisely been spent very, very wisely. Now, let us, you and me in the present, watch it all fall apart, because once you consider the evidence further, holes start to make themselves. Let's start with the less obvious one. We don't know what the mid-2000s metalcore bands were actually listening to. We know their influences, but they tend to starkly contrast this particular album, and in many ways, that's influences, not actually what they were listening to in that moment. Take Trivium, for example. While it is possible, it is possible they could have been listening to this album while they were writing and recording Ember to Inferno and even Ascendancy, the timeline does support that possibility. We know for a fact that their influences are Metallica and Pantera. Matt Heafy has gone on about this multiple times. And notably, Metallica and Pantera not Killswitch Engage, so strike one. But even if you want to uh, get in something more definitive in terms of this uh, evidence against this theory, look no further than the humble timeline, because Killswitch Engage was not the only melodic metalcore band around at that particular time. Bands around that time, they range from Atreus uh, in their album The Curse uh, to Event Sevenfold sounding the seventh trumpet. They were not unknowns at that time. And there is one more album to consider that blows the whole thing up. Let me introduce you to the lovely woman named Jane Doe. I shoved my pasty white face so far down the rabbit hole, I forgot about the godfathers of melodic metalcore. That pokes the biggest hole in this entire theory. I mean, it's well known at this point, this particular album converges Jane Doe. It was cited as a major influence by Misery Signals and Norma Jean, big prominent metalcore bands. This is canon. And yet, after all that, 
I think this theory still might have a bit of ground to stand on, because here's the thing. It's never just one album that influences the entirety of a subgenre. It's always a collection of them. And while we don't have enough evidence to confirm if Alive or Just Breathing inspired the entire genre, there also isn't enough evidence to completely discount it. There's, if anything, more than enough influence to show that their impact is far spread. Look, we could do an entire episode on the complexities and musical evolution and uh, complexities sorry complexities of musical evolution and how subgenres come about believe me we could it would be multiple episodes in fact it'll probably take a lot of research and a lot of investigating and a lot of time to do but if there's anything this episode has proven today i'm not opposed to spending hours researching for an answer to a question nobody was even asking the fact is, whether we're talking about Alive or Just Breathing, Jane Doe, Sounding the Seventh Trumpet, The Curse, or really any other early 2000s metalcore album, each one probably had varying levels of impact and evolution on a varying level of metalcore bands over the years, and yes, eventually causing a bit of saturation in the genre of metalcore. And I think for that alone, though, this album is indeed an essential album. Maybe not as essential as we thought it was going to be when we started down this rabbit hole. Yeah, remember how we started this whole thing? Fun times. It's great early metalcore still. A great foundation for Killswitch and inspirational for the genre going forward. Even if it wasn't, deal only one embarking on this particular quest. But that's what I think about this album. Now I want to hear from you on this. What do you think of the album? Do you think it's essential? What else do you think might be considered an essential metal album? Let me know. I'd love to hear more from you. Know what albums I should take a rusty pickaxe to? I mean, take a look at next. Bad albums beware. Request them anytime online. And you can hear your favorites hacked to pieces. I mean, disgust. Why do I keep doing that? Disgust right here on the Metal Robot Podcast. You're listening to MRP. All right, let's keep the show moving along and let's sit back down with Dusk, the Death Doom band that is back from their long hiatus and a dark, dark return. That was way too dramatic, I think, for this podcast. I don't know why I went that route. But when we last sat down with Steve Crane from Dusk, we started talking about that new album, Dissolve Into Ash, and also what new stuff they brought to the table for that album. So let's keep that train moving along, and let's get back into it. This is Steve Crane from Dusk, part two on the Metal Robot Podcast. In the press release, it's mentioned that your influences uh, cons consist of Cathedral, My Dying Bride, and Disembowelment in crafting this, uh, this brand of Death Doom. How have these influences uh, shaped your music over time? And what other artists or even experiences have contributed to Dusk's sound? I think those bands at the time for us, like the overall heaviness, the, the melody, the musical talent like the overall just like deep emotional connection that we felt whenever we listened to those bands that's what we tried to convey whenever we were trying to write music and like i said we honestly like try to 
you know, taking parts of our nature and somehow trying to make that a mood as weird and dumb as that sounds. That's always been like our goal as well. You know, it's a pretty harsh climate and we try to relate that musically sometimes. You got to make it a mood. You got to get like <laughs> dusk scented candles. You got to get a mood yeah. lighting. <laughs> it's always about the it's always about the mood. So, so obviously with this new release, as we were talking about, it's a very, it's an album that took some chances compared to Majestic Thou in Ruin. Um, so if, if there were fans, like I'm not saying there are, but if there are fans who are listening to this, they like it, but they're wondering, is there anything about uh, anything Majestic Thou in Ruin that they would love to expect in the future? Is that something they would come to expect? You're saying if we ever wrote anything, yeah, that like it, like to that, yeah, like it, like uh, is this like a with this new album? Is this a new direction you're going into, or is there something like a kind of a back and forth between the two styles? And we never actually like think about anything like that. Like even when right. we wrote Majestic Thou and Ruin, it just seemed like a natural progression from our very first demo. Like we didn't put too much thought into it. This release seems natural. But I was talking with Tim Beyer last night, and he's been getting into, like, some really old, like, Thorns of the Carrion kind of stuff. And, like, he, he was, like, saying that he was, like, writing some riffs, like, back to, like, the really old days kind of stuff. So I would say it's definitely possible. I would just say that this release now just seemed like the natural way to go. So wherever we go in the future... I can't say where that will be because like we, like I said, we don't really plan it or think about it. It just right. kind of happens organically, you know? Well, yeah, you're obviously not planning the sound, but is there any plans in place to maybe have uh, songs in the writing process for a future release beyond this point? Like how, like how soon should one be looking out for a new Dusk album after Dissolve into Ash? I honestly can't answer that. Like, I didn't think it would take us like it's basically taken three years <laughs> to write this one. <laughs> so it could be a year, it could be ten years, it could be never. I'm not sure. You know what I mean? Or are we gonna get like dusk styled like tool memes out of it, like tool memes, but for dusk? <laughs> That's a guarantee right there. That's Still waiting for a dusk album. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to be like the band. Yeah, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. <laughs> then nothing ever happens. No, I'm just we're kidding. in the studio 10 years later, so we're in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> now, you've had uh, the opportunity to uh, share the stage with renowned acts like Amorphous and perform at uh, Maryland Death Fest and also tour with Master. What are some standout moments from these experiences and how have they influenced your live performances and music? Oh, yeah. I would say just hanging out with Master every day for a couple weeks, just seeing Paul hanging out with him and the guys in the band. Like, they're just like, it's like their life, you know? And I felt at ease with that because, like, even though I wasn't in Dusk for several years, like, music has always been my life. You know, and so I just like felt natural with those guys. And I would also say like Amorphous, it was super cool that they can come all the way from the other side of the world and just hang out down the street from us and, you know, have their fans just be so into it. That was actually a sold out show at like a smaller-ish venue in Milwaukee. 
And that was our first show back in 20 years performing live. And it was just a really special time. We had all of the original members at that time, including our drummer, Shimron. And it was like just so crazy, like to be back on the stage and then with Swallow the Sun and Amorphous, two bands that I absolutely have always adored. And then for Maryland Death Fest, just watching that whole scope of like the major production that that was and how it like went off without a hitch was really, really kind of amazing to watch. And also like every single band on the bill freaking rules, you know, like there is no band that you, even if like there was a band that I didn't really know who they were by like the end of their set, I was like, these guys are amazing, mm -hmm. you know? And so like just watching that and also uh, I would say like there was a couple bands there that just their live performance and just their overall sense of professionalism that's some like something that we're striving to accomplish now. Like we're trying to, when we perform, we want to just not be like a bunch of old guys out there trying to still get it done because that's basically <laughs> what we are besides our drummer, you know, our drummer is <laughs> a young kid. He keeps us young. He keeps us cool, you know, but you know, so we're just trying to actually be like a professional, really good band live. You know. So you're not going up there like, you darn kids better open up this fucking pit. <laughs> Nothing like that. <laughs> I never really said that in my life. <laughs> well, it's yours to use if you choose. Uh, so, but let's talk about a bit more about those live performances. Uh, they're, they're, from what I understand, they are known for combining a massive sound, atmospheric keys, haunting female vocals, and visual elements like light shows and ambient fog that takes everybody away. Can you where did everybody go? I don't know. Can you tell us about the importance of creating this, I would say, a multi-sensory experience for your audience and how it would enhance the impact of the music in wherever you're playing? Yeah, I think it's like super important. You know, the fog, the lighting, even the colors that were chosen for certain parts of the songs were significant to us. We're just like total nerds like that, but it means a lot to us. Like every note of every song like means something to us. And we try to accentuate that, you know, and so if there's a part that's like emotional, if there's a part that's just like super brutal, we try to like accentuate that and have like where you can just close your eyes and like completely be immersed. And then you open your eyes and you're like, shit, this is crazy you know that's what we're trying to go for now you know yeah and I, I do believe you that's on the right track because I, I know there's there's something something to be said about performing live and being as a member of the audience seeing the band perform live and just hearing the speakers just destroy your eardrums is already cool enough but when the band does something like what you guys do and takes them in creates an atmosphere creates something that's not just about the music that i think is something that a lot of bands do not take advantage of enough and that and if you're not doing that at the very least have a strong front man or woman in the front who can command the crowd really well otherwise it's like I'm just watching after school special here. I don't know what, what am I supposed to do? It's like, I'm enjoying my beer, I guess. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so I think that's, that is very important. Now, 
You were talking, of course, that there's no real plans for a new album. Maybe there'll be one, maybe there won't be, but in the future, looking forward, um, is there anything uh, that can come out of Dusk or any other, uh, anything else that maybe fans might be able to look forward to? Any live performances, any, uh, any projects, anything of the sort that can get fans hooked and interested? Yeah, we're really hoping to play more throughout the world after this album comes out. We put, you know, a lot of work into it, and I'm really super happy with it. I'm hoping it will be, you know, received um, well by, you know, fans and critics, and maybe we'll be able to play, you know, overseas. Maybe we'll be able to do a couple runs here and there, you know, and play a lot more shows and kind of like get our fans to experience us live since we haven't really played that many shows, you know, in several decades Mm -hmm. besides our tour, we did, you know, multiple shows in a row. But besides that, we really haven't played a ton, you know, I would love to have, you know, experience, you know, meet new people, have our fans be able to experience on live. We have like all new gear. We have all new, you know, show. And I think fans are really going to dig it, you know? So we're playing, uh, next Friday, um, in my hometown of Kenosha. And then we don't really have any more live shows planned because the winters are kind of harsh around here and driving around can get kind of weird. And so, um, so after maybe like February, we're hoping to play a lot more and into next summer, into next year, things like that. And also we are writing like new ideas and stuff always. So, you know, there probably will be another album. I don't know if it'll be a full length. Maybe it'll be a couple songs. Maybe it'll just be some ideas that we put out, but yeah, something to look forward to. Something to look forward to. And you know what? Like I, like you're talking to a guy who lives in Canada. I know a thing or two about the snow and everything of that sort (laughs) during driving season we like to play a game when we're on the roads. It's either, that find a lane or pick a snowbank like that's <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so yeah especially as like like because we just got out of daylight savings up here and and like already is getting dark around like five o'clock so i'm going home already and i'm just like i can't see shit this is <laughs> what's going yeah. on it's crazy right? yeah and then someone has their someone going the opposite direction has their high beams on like now we definitely can't see shit <laughs> so, <laughs> you're like yes thank all right. you i'm gonna find that snowbank yeah, I'm, I'm going to find that snowbank. Thank you, generous pedestrian, you fucker. Uh, so with that in mind, we've got one. We're about to run out of time here, but we've got one final question that I have to ask. This is probably the most important question that could be asked of all. If you could be any cereal box character, who would you be? Oh, wow. Cereal box character. Hmm. Let me think about this. Oh man, that's a really hard question. I wish I would have got these questions before. (laughs) You don't think about this stuff on a day-to-day basis, but it's nice to. (laughs) Can you give me like a multiple choice or something? (laughs) Well, what cereal do you usually eat for breakfast? Uh, I basically don't really eat cereal for breakfast. I don't eat breakfast. (laughs) I do eat breakfast, just not cereal. Mm. Okay, so I'll give you either uh, Count Chocula, the the Lucky Charms Leprechaun, Tony the Tiger, 
or Toucan Sam? It's definitely Count Dracula. Okay. Count Chocula, I should say. Count Chocula, yeah. <laughs> I should have expected that one as soon as I said it. <laughs> so, all right. So, I Steve. You do Boo Berries as well or whatever that guy yeah. yeah. You know what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go with that. Let's go with it. It's not right. as obvious, right? <laughs> well, Steve from Dusk, thank you so much for coming on the show. Dissolve into Ash is due out December 8th. By the time this episode comes out, it should already be out. So go check it out. Links will be down in the podcast description. Steve, is there anything else you'd like to shout out or or just give a, like a shout out to you have 30 seconds? Go for it. Yeah, I just want to thank you. I just want to thank our fans for sticking with us, making us relevant after all of these years. I mean, it's seriously crazy. I can't believe it. And it, I'm, I'm humbled every day to think that people want to sit down and talk about Dusk. And I'm even more humbled that we have the opportunity to write new music. And I'm just like using it every day. I'm like not taking anything for granted anymore. And um, yeah, just super excited to get this release out. And I just hope that everyone digs it as much as we do. Awesome. Well, once again, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. It's good to have you guys back after all the, I speak on behalf of the fans. It's good to have you back after three decades. We got old list waiting for you. <laughs> this was the, thank this you. is the tool means before the tool means. So thank you. Yes. Great. That was Steve Crane with us, vocalist and bassist for Death Doom Band Dusk. The new album, as mentioned, is Dissolve Into Ash. You can get it wherever you get your favorite music. It is out now. You can also check out the links in the description to find Dusk wherever they are on the internet. Now, after that talk, I got to say, I just realized it might, it is kind of hard to see when they might be releasing a new album. I don't think it was made perfectly clear when that might happen. Uh, there's not a lot of I don't want to say there's a lot of hope, but there's definitely no indication that they're uh, coming out with a new album anytime soon. But on the bright side, there's also no indication that they are going on another hiatus. When will the new album come out? I don't know. But is it going to come out? I believe so. I think it might be. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Hopefully we do get another one from these guys. And uh, hopefully we don't have them going back on another hiatus. Fingers crossed on that one. Don't go away. Coming up is the last interview of 2023 with Bacterial Husk. This is the Metal Robot Podcast. We'll be right back. Let's open the gates. For Astaroth has risen. And the demon has gone core. Wait, the story is the demon has gone core? I don't get it. Just wait for the drop. What the fuck? From the ashes of ascendance, Astaroth is born again. Enter the world of Sam Astaroth with his new song, Demon Core. Available on all streaming. This video available on YouTube. Links in the podcast description. You can stay up to date with all things Metal Robots. Uh, but what if I don't want to? Well, that's good for you. Oh, and don't mind the wall of death hurtling towards you. The what? Oh, what the fuck? Oh, God. Oh, God. My legs. I was not ready for the quiz, my Everyone else in the pit, here's what you need to know. Facebook and Twitter. At the Metal Robot. Instagram. At the Dot Metal Robot. Because some dickhead got to it before me. Oh, my legs! Follow for all the latest updates on the Metal Robot and the Metal Robot Podcast. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast.
And finally tonight, we're wrapping up the 2023 season in 2024 or 2020 part four is it appearing to be nice happy february uh, we're wrapping up this season with one of my favorite interviews from this year now that is a long list there are plenty of interviews i did this year that are at the top of my list black briar being one of them ronnie romero of course is another one that i had a lot of fun with but i think this one hits the tippy top for a very specific reason, as we'll get into uh, in a moment. Screeching out of Boston, Bacterial Husk is a death metal band releasing their debut album, Anthropogenic Ruin. Now, when I heard this album, it was just an unrelenting assault on my eardrums, and I needed to know more. So late last year, when I was dealing with a really... In fun, fun head cold, it just feel, felt as nice as a mud bath in poop. Uh, I sat down with Bacterial Husk, and w this was interesting. I didn't realize this at the time, but this was one of, like, this interview was one of, if not, their first interview that they'd ever done. And I was kind of surprised by that, uh, at the time at least. Now, I'm not going to be splitting this thing up into two parts. It's just not happening here. I usually do that, but here there was not a point I could cut without causing more confusion. So we're going to just show you the full, slightly edited down for timing interview that I did with Bacterial Husk so that we can embrace the unfiltered chaos. So let's give a stank welcome to Evan and Nick of Bacterial Husk right here on the Metal Robot Podcast. Nick Evan of, I forgot the band name already, Bacterial Husk. Welcome yeah. to the show. Are you yay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome How's to the show. <laughs> Thank it's, you. Thank you for having us. Oh, I'm happy to have you guys here, even though I completely botched your name for a second there. Uh, it's good to have you. You know, it's funny, like, even though I, like, I know the name, but for a while, I could not understand why anytime I tried to say the band name, I kept saying bacterial dusk for some reason. I do not know why that kept happening. I knew what it was. It was not dusk. I'm off by one letter. I cannot explain why that kept happening, but good to have you guys here either way. I'm just hoping I said bacterial husk when I did the review of the album uh, a few episodes back. Yeah, yeah hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> People looking for that Bacterial Dusk album are going to be bummed out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. I couldn't find the link for that one. So, all right, well, welcome to the show. Uh, so uh, for what I like to do is I, I think I may have given a bit of a rundown of who you guys are in the review, but just in case people didn't hear that review or if I am misremembering my episodes correctly, uh, what who is Bacterial Husk? What are you guys about? Where are you from? <laughs> okay that is, that tells me everything let's go let's start with nick here yeah all right so we're, we're a death metal band out of boston area massachusetts death metal band uh we've been around since about 2015 comprised of a bunch of people that have played in bands and been in the scene for kind of ever uh, since I moved to Boston when I was 17, Evan, you've been in band since what? You were like 15? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I've been in the like Boston scene since I was 21, I guess, 2021. 20, so I'm 40 now, so 20 years in the New England uh, 
extreme metal scene, but I, I, I played in, uh, I tried to play in heavy bands as a teenager and a kid, and uh, some of them were pretty good in high school. But yeah, yeah, basically 20 years. Going to start rambling. Uh, Nick, Nick and I know each other. Our old bands used to play, uh, and then they both kind of ended around the same time. So it was just kind of like, well, let's, we should keep, we all wanted to play music. So it's just, that's kind of happens in scenes, you know? It was like, um, I'm not doing anything now. You're not doing anything. We're homies. We've known each other for a decade. Uh, let's jam. And that's how Bacterial House kind of started, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, so that's good to hear. And be, given that you guys are are in this band together, I mean, there's obviously it's more than just a jam band. That's how it started. But you guys, like your influences start to really creep through, um, which just looking at the bio uh, for your music is described as, quote, a unique death metal, a unique death metal, heavily influenced by acts like Gore Guts, Carcass, Death, and Malevolent Creation. Which, for anybody listening, wondering what genre that might be, uh, folk metal. Anyways, how do you blend these influences to create this distinct sound? And what sets Bacterial Husk apart in the folk metal, death metal scene? I'm joking. It's not folk. I swear to God, do not kill me, Elitus. Death metal scene. What sets you guys apart? Uh, well, <clears throat> I'll take flip this a coin. One. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think with the influences, right? It's sort of like um, those are the things we draw from, and uh, we're really like it's not just sonically. It's like we're influenced by those, like the whole presentation of those bands, uh, their artwork, uh, the time period. I mean, I of course most people are very nostalgic for the '80s and '90s and stuff, and a lot of those bands that I draw influence from that you listed there. It's like all that stuff came out in the. We're talking like you know, early '90s to mid '90s and stuff. And um, but I guess as far as how it influences the music, it's just sort of like here's the bar these guys set. Let's try to do something that's in the same arena as it, but not just copying it. Not just because any you you've heard clone bands all the time where you mm -hmm. can go, oh, they're kind of that riff sounds just like a so-and-so riff. They just kind of like changed a note and blah, blah, blah. And obviously that's not how we draw influence. We just kind of go like, hey, here's stuff that we all there's so much music, right? And everybody listens to such a fast different different genres and stuff that it's like um you know here's a few bands that we all like so we know when we're writing stuff if it's in that or wheelhouse we're good you know and then we kind of do that but we don't as far as like coming up with stuff we don't like really sit around and just start throwing out making it up on the spot you know what i mean like generally like I'll go, hey, I got three riffs that kind of sound cool, and I'll play them for Nick and John and Joey, and they'll go, yeah, uh, cool, work on that more, and then bring it back. Or they'll go, cool, I think a change that you know, but it's not like uh, I think when I was younger, we would write that way, like in bands where you kind of go, you just literally go see us Sunday at noon, and we'll see what we come up with, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and like I think that. I think that I think that has value uh, too, but I just think that uh, it's very unorganized to do that way because inspiration sometimes just doesn't come. You know what I mean? And I tend to ramble, so Nick and I like to ramble a lot, drink coffee. And, and <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think I think I approach it like, and I approach any music I work on with people. There's like two ways. One, it's sort of like 
you take your favorite stuff, like your, you know, all your influences or just stuff you enjoy and you draw upon all those little things. And then I think the way I contribute in the band and maybe how it ties into the influences is like, I, I help arrange. If somebody comes in with a, with a riff that feels inspired by such and such band, you know, maybe I'll just for fun play a totally different type of drum beat on it to make it sound like something di different. You know what I mean? Like just switch up the vibe. So you're not just like straight riffing from uh, other sources, but you're kind of like turning it on its head and combining all these elements you like, you know. So it's not just like gra grabbing ran just random Cannibal Corpse riffs and just trying to see what works, what's, oh dear God, that's the same thing. Fuck it, let's change it up. Uh, nothing like that? Yeah, for sure. I think too, I've heard people, speaking of Cannibal Corpse, I've heard Cannibal Corpse, Alex Webster described early in their career, it's like they were imitating the things they, they liked and they were imitating it in the wrong way. And <laughs> one of their riffs, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've definitely done that before or, right. or it's like, or been like, or, or been like, I really like this riff, uh, the, the, the like vibe it produces. So you're trying to, you're so influenced by something specifically, mm -hmm. but you're not like you have, you're not just copying something, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, Ooh, but like, it's the feeling. It's yeah, the feeling. It's the, yeah. yeah. Or like, you know, sometimes I'll hear a riff and it's like they used a filter on it or a phaser pedal. And it's like, oh, love that phaser. Gonna store that in the back of the brain book. And uh, it's I worked all day. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all just like post-work brain plop right now. That's what we're doing. That's where we're at. So. That it, but in terms of the like in terms of the band, of course, you guys have shared the stage with uh, renowned bands like uh, Funa. Br I can never figure out how to pronounce these guys. Oh uh, yeah, Funa Brown. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, also as well as Come to Grief, Gore Guts, as mentioned, uh, Entombed yeah. AD, and Artificial Brain. Um, mm -hmm. So, how have these experiences influenced your live performances and the overall dynamics of the rest of the band? I guess, uh, you know, we just are always honored when a local show with bands we like asks us to play. And it just, uh, we just want to, like, those were great opportunities. With Entombed AD, um, uh, you know, we got to meet the singer um, who passed away uh, recently of throat cancer. And I got to meet him. Yeah. And uh, he's, this guy's like an idol of mine. And you, you kind of like... Um, Oh, you don't want to meet your heroes, you know, and walked into his dress room by accident. He's sitting there chilling, sit around, talk to me for five minutes, super friendly. And so, I mean, in that respect, I have that memory forever. You know what I mean? Every yeah. time I listen to Entombed, I can go, I, I played with him and I met him and he wasn't a dick. He was so nice. Like he was, so, so it's like, you know, for me, I, I love that band and now I have this wonderful memory forever and a flyer and whatever, you know. And so, like, I'm a I know Nick can say the same thing. I mean, we're fans always first, you know, it's like if people like our band and shit, it's like that's amazing because, uh, you know, it's that whole thing where it's like you don't you know, there's no rock stars in this shit, you know, you know, it's like we're just fans that also play. And if people start to be fans of us, great. Cause it's like, right. you know, that's, uh, that's what it's all about. You know, it's like, I think that too, when you're playing with bands of that caliber, it just makes you bring it that much harder when you play live too. I mean, 
like you always want to bring the same energy to the room, whether it's 10 people or like, you know, 500. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's be honest when there's like a lot more people and they're rabid and they're stoked. Like it just, the energy level is so much higher too, you know? So it's just, it's always cool when you get to play with like a killer band that you're a big fan of, you know? It just becomes fandom overload. Oh yeah. It's fan overload. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned Gorguts and we, um, that's a huge influence on the band. Me, me especially. And, uh, same deal. We got to talk to Luke from Gorguts all night and he was super friendly and, um, Really nice. I mean, it's like it, it was like it feels surreal, you know. It's like this guy's talking to me like he's known me for twenty years, you know. And um, and then of course I just try not to bother anyone. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, uh, you know. So, but um, but like I had him sign. I, I uh, the first Gorguts record, considered dead, which is my second favorite one of all time. Uh, Erosion of Sanity, the second one, is my favorite of all time. But um. I had him sign my cassette from the, you know, from the nineties. And, uh, I have that right. I'll go grab it. If you want, it's right over here. Hold on. It's going full circle. All right. You know what I mean? I blasted this when I was a little guy. Now I'm here with you. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean? It's one of those, like, what a cool thing. You know what I mean? It's like, um, uh, that show was crazy too, man, because so that was, I don't know if it was the last show with Mark, but no, that it was our early Agnosia. It was our Agnosia of Omens lineup, and Mark Richards, who founded the band with all of us, he had just broken. Was it his arm or his hand? Uh, I think it was his hand and wrist. He had fallen off a bike. He just broke it, but he was just like, "Fuck it, I'm playing for you know, we're playing the Gorgut show," and he played the whole thing. He did great. Yeah, the whole thing with a broken hand. Yeah, there it is, Evan. I see it. Yeah, he signed <laughs> it. You can't. You get. It's dark in here, but yeah. So for the po- for the podcast listeners, what were you just holding up there again? It was a. Uh... This is a copy of the first Gorguts record, considered dead, that Luke Lemay signed for me when we played with him. Uh, you know, this was before the pandemic and everything, so the before times, but. You know, That's, I just look like a giant Mark fanboy poser. <laughs> but I am. I am, man, a, you know. So at the whatever. end of the day, we're all big we're, we're all just big fanboys and girls. That's that's all we yeah, are at the end of the day. Man, I, I support that. I love that I wouldn't be you wouldn't be talking to us if that band didn't exist for sure, man. That's my that's like uh one of my biggest influences, you know. So and I mean he's he plays guitar and sings too, and that's what I do mm-hmm. now in Bacterial Husk. I, I was just rhythm guitar and backing vocals on the demo and now i'm uh lead singer and rhythm guitar so but i draw that my heat the guys i look up to are like luke lemay from gorguts um eric from deeds of flesh who passed away you know uh those guys if you watch those clip those guys play um that's who i'm trying to i just wanted if i could make those guys proud cool you know what i mean if they saw it and were like oh that's all right getting there cool <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like level of ability you know that think that's like a lot of working on the new record that was like the most fun and the most challenging it was like we wrote songs that were a little bit just a little beyond us being really tight at them and mm-hmm. we had to like work towards that level of musicianship and i know like evan i mean i'm just gonna say like you stepped up 
so much and the ability to play those riffs and do all those vocals is just bananas to me like like yeah, yeah I play the drums and i yell a couple of things but all i gotta do is just be like ah, once yeah. in a while you know I don't yeah. say all the words and exactly yeah. that tone too on stage you'd be surprised how well the mic picks up <laughs> <laughs> yeah he does his penguin vocals you know, filters and stuff and it sounds cool but he just actually <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. yeah. Little do they know there's a pitch shifter right next to the microphone. It just brings it all the way down. Yeah. yeah. They don't know. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know our circus. <laughs> don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Trade secret. Yeah. Uh, so so that's, you know, I've, I've like, I've always done one or the other, right? I've been a singer only or a rhythm guitarist only, but never at the same time. And uh, so that's the, I'm 40 now been doing this since i was 12 years old this is the first time i'm doing both and it was definitely hard to do but i mean i've done both for over 20 years so i just had the it's patting your head and rubbing your belly at the same time you know it yeah. took work you know and in the and when we're in the studio practicing i mean they they know i i was able to start barking some things out and start getting like i was basically when when i started doing this it was like doing what i was doing when kyle sang for the band which is backing vocals i could do some parts you know what i mean and then some riffs i was like i just can't do both yet the riffs too chaotic or i just can't my my brain wasn't grasping how to do it and now that's the thing right practice makes perfect you do it enough now i'm doing it i'm getting better i think now that we're playing now we're going to be playing shows to promote the new album I'm sure as time goes, I'll get tighter and tighter. You can watch it on YouTube grow. You know, if, uh, if you're a weirdo that's watching me on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> watching specifically you. Yeah. Yeah. And just what, how, his hands. Yeah. His hands. His watch hands. his hands, guys. Yeah, watch. He's gotten so good. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I could uh, speak to somebody who's who try, has been trying to get the whole like like guitar and singing thing down for a while. That is so fucking hard. How did you yeah, end up? It is. Yeah. So I got to ask, um, how did you end up getting around to like you said practice, of course, but what was some yeah. of the main tricks that sped things along for that? Um, you know, uh, it's repetition mostly and just uh, some things, some things the vocals were easy to do over the riff if the and then sometimes it was like this is way hard so when i'd find a part that i it was really hard to do you just loop it do it over and over and over and over and slow it down that was one of the things i learned slow down learn it mm. slow and then speed it up don't try to learn it at a million miles an hour because it starts slow and build it up you know like anything you gotta you gotta crawl before any instrument you know, yeah, you know, right, you gotta, yeah. I'm actually learning drums. I've been I've been learning drums just the last couple of years, and it's I I go very slow. I'm not trying to fly because I can't. You know what I mean? It's like so I um I'm just you know slowly learning, and uh yeah, and then with drums, it's that repetition. You know, it's like you learn something slow, and then you replay it over and over, and then you speed the BPM up, and then you speed it up, and then you speed it up, and then, you know. Tedium. Yeah. Yeah, dude. But yeah, it's the same thing, even if you're just trying to riff. Like, I've always found, uh, even whether you're riffing on the drums or the guitar, whatever, like, yeah, you can fake it, playing it really fast, but show me the same fucking riff really slow. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, that's when you know if somebody's playing all the notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. And and that's that's the challenge. It's like, can you play it slower? Can you control everything? And so much of like the sound of our music 
um, it feels, it sounds really, really fast. But to me, I'm always like feeling like I'm playing really slow, which is super bizarre in my brain, but that's the control. It's that push pull of like, you know, trying to keep it locked in and really tight with everybody at like cohesive, like a band, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. On that note, after like a solid 18, 19 minutes of talking, let's finally talk about the new album, Anthropogenic Ruin, which is out now for everybody who uh, would like to listen to more of that, or even you can find it on YouTube and you can watch Evan try the hands and singing thing again. So with this... (laughs) Now, uh, this, now this question can actually, uh, this first question about the album can actually be directed to both of you, but I think we're going to start with Nick on this one, uh, because the album explores the theme of mankind's doom through man-made unnatural and celestial anomalies. Did I pull that out of my ass or did I get it from the press release? Let me know in the comments. Now, so Nick with this, uh, I don't know how much of the songwriting you were personally influenced in. I, I, it depends really from band to band. It changes, but for this, can you delve deeper into the, uh, inspiration behind this apocalyptic concept and how it influenced the creative process and the lyrical themes throughout the album. Well, actually, just speak, we'll get to Evan with the lyrics in a second, but like, I think just generally the vibe is just sort of like a mirror of reality. <laughs> and, yep. <laughs> and you're sort of reacting to some of the worst sides of existing right now it's not that like you know it's not that everything is this nightmarish scenario but like these themes are around us these futures are possible and then like it just going it's sort of like patterns of behavior repeating and themes like that and um i don't know we just do it to ourselves we're just doomed to do it to ourselves and um you know kind of the most fascinating piece of the whole record is we sort of had some overarching sort of like, I would just call them vibes. (laughs) And, you know, starting with sort of like song titles, just this, this riff sounds like, you know, poisonous clouds, or this sounds like, you know, mutated bees attacking you or whatever the fuck, like we would just sort of describe uh, the riffs to each other as we were playing. Sometimes, you know, it'd be like a little inside joke at practice and you come up with like, you know, whatever. But then, and I think this kind of goes back to Evan's challenges, like playing the riffs and doing the vocals. The lyrics were sort of like finalized for the majority of the record after the music was like nearly locked all the way in. Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of like, you know, we came up with all the music, we had sort of the thematic vibes And then all these ideas that especially Evan was like really kicking around. He was just like writing it down. And and then we would do, we did all pre-production. We uh, recorded the album ourselves before we recorded the album so that, you know, you're all playing the same thing on the guitars and you can hear if it sucks or not, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Some of those recordings are really cool to look, you know, the demos the band makes themselves because the songs but it's not it's like the baby ver- you know it's like the uh infantile stage of it or like it's just a little it's not quite there you know what i mean but you can but, but go on but you can hear yourself by doing that and mm-hmm. you, you can be like oh it's really busy there's like a lot of words going on here or the cadence of something needs to change or whatever it is and 
And then, you know, we refined it that way. But I think thematically, you know, I would say Evan, he does the majority, almost all of the lyric lyrics and same thing. I kind of went through his stuff and was like, this is a little redundant. This is a cool word instead. And that was about it. I just like you and I just kind of kicked it back. And yeah. Forth it. Well, it's, it's back to when Nick was talking about, I was good at arranging, right? Like I'm good at like idea dumping and then Nick's real good at trimming it back and trimming the fat. And that's with every with riffs, with the lyrics, with the, you know what I mean? Like I can. Like just filtering I, out I the ideas. bad ideas and keeping the good ones basically. Yeah. Or like, um, just when, when you actually writing, not like, not <clears throat> like lyrically or thematically, like not saying the same word 17 times in a song, you know what I mean? Cause then it's like, okay, geez, you know, it's like, it's taking what, the good idea and then translating it more effectively. It's not that mm-hmm. there was a bad idea. It's just that it was like, ah, it's a little murky or something like it's that. Kinda like, it's like, uh, what, what do you call it with fractions when you, you know, when you, uh, Lowest common denominator? Yeah. Well, it's like, hey, there's uh, those cancel each other out. So just get rid of that. And oh, word. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> good to know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, with the with the theme of you know the end of humanity, the it's just I mean the times we live in, man. And it's also just classic heavy metal themes. You know, every album I listen to is. Uh, the end of the world my favorite ones you know and um you know eva the apocalypse is the first song on retribution by malevolent creation you know what i mean it's just and it, these times it just feels like we're there you know it doesn't mean you know i just uh i think um you know apocalypse it means revelation you know it just means the truth is coming out and all this stuff and it's hard to know what's true and what's not in these times, but it's interesting to talk about it. And it's interesting. It's to me, it's really interesting to think about, well, if, if humanity's doomed, how do we get here? What, what caused that, you know? And then those are the, and is it one thing? Is it many things? Is it lots of, what could, and then you, you know, and so those are kind of like, as far as lyrically and the themes, some of what you're drawing from. And then for me, it's always, you know, uh, horror movies and uh, sci-fi and then also, you know, grand conspiracy and or just anything like that. And because a lot of that sounds like sci-fi. So it's like, you know, yeah. it's like taking it all, you know, if you watch. Uh, and then, I mean, I pull from history. I pull from religious texts. I pull from the occult. I pull from, like I said, movies. I pull from uh you know cartoons and stuff whatever you know as nick was saying like we'll come up with a song title first and then we don't i don't know what the lyrics are yet i think a lot of the lyrics on this one wound up very like you know kind of mirroring what's going on in right now you know but then a lot of it pulls back to ancient history a lot of it is just sci-fi fantasy a lot of it's yeah. ghosts and witches you know what i mean so it's like a little bit everything Ooh, there yeah. but um yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The gremlin the goblin the ghoul you know but it's uh it's a little bit for everyone but you know so um and yeah i mean I, the and it's just and then now we got one full length out here's the content now I've, we've kind of established what it is and then we'll develop it from there you know and um i already have tons of ideas for what's coming next so uh and it's exciting but you know you got to start somewhere build it up and then 
new album. Trim the is that fat. what you're saying? Is that what we're hearing now? New oh, album? Yeah. We're going to put folks. Yeah, we want to do yeah. something. Yeah, you heard it. Exclusive. We move a little more quickly. <laughs> the, the previous album, it took many, many years to get it together because we sort of went through went through lineup changes, pandemic, like right, yeah. we lost our practice space. We had, you know, like the whole city of Boston's gentrified. So it's like all these obstacles to get oh, yeah. to where we got to. And I think that the time allowed the material to be really strong, but I think we're now, we learned a lot from uh, that process that we want to just hit the ground running and get something out even if it's just like an EP or a split or something like in the next year, really quickly, not wait, you yeah. know, another six we're both, years. Yeah. We're really we're motivated both. to, yeah, we're, mo- we, we hope that like we now are, it's like a flow of stuff coming out. Cause it, with all that chaos of the last five years and whatnot, it, the, I, I really think this album coming out is, such a testament to perseverance because all of us through all this shit i mean i wanted to quit a million times with just not because i don't love the band and love these guys but it's like the world is ending <laughs> yeah. i am go, gonna go sit by a lake you know what i mean i don't know, I don't know what to do in the world <laughs> i'm going fishing I've, ne- <laughs> I've never done a, the world ending before i don't know what to do but you know no and, one trained uh, me for this for us it's we are elated that this has come out and we can share it with everyone it really like with all the lineup changes and like we have uh, all the guys that have been part of this band we're we're uh, had a had a hand in this full length and we love all those guys so it's all their efforts made it on here and it's a big group effort and uh we're just really yeah. proud of it and um there it is looking yeah. good yep nick, yep for those listening nick is just showing it off <laughs> put it away man <laughs> <laughs> this is a family friendly channel god damn it <laughs> yeah like like to evan's point you know like everybody that's been a part of the band this whole time like not even just the current lineup that's you know, credited on the album. I mean, we've, they've all been contributing at least at some point we had Mark come back on, do some like gross backing vocals and things like if you're listening, you're like, what's that raspy belchy sound? It's like, it might be Mark who knows. And, you know, so it's like, it's fun because we kept everybody in the loop, but we really gelled as this lineup, these four dudes, you know, on this. Yeah. I, we got to mention the guys who aren't here, Joey Adams and John Latuka, uh, lead guitar and bass. And, um, you know, Joey basically recorded and engineered the whole record. He, he's a, you know, he's incredible guys. Uh, one of our best friends and, uh, and John is one of my oldest friends. Literally he was in my band when I was 15 years old and we've been best friends for 20 something years, 25 years. And it's like, we played when we were kids and then, now we're playing over 40 so it's uh full circle you know what i mean and it's pretty cool um but they're you know uh their efforts on this uh, it's really a group effort we you know really voltron to this but um yeah i mean if you if you like this record hit up uh joey you know he's an engineer man hit him up i'm Just trying to get him, him up. here's his phone number it's <laughs> yeah, here, <I'll> <laughs> here's, he's like, be like, here's he's, his number he's 
He's gonna be like, guy, I don't want to engineer anybody. <laughs> Why'd you say that? No, <laughs> no but I mean, he's put me in a box, damn it. And uh, and you know, he really, he he went above and beyond on this. He put so much effort in. It's one of those things. Like I, I can't say it enough. It um, he put in so many hours in the mixing and all this stuff. So it's really, it was such a. It's a group effort, and I'm, we're we're all except we all want to already beat it with that sophomore one, you know, or with what's mm-hmm. you know it's that drive to outdo it, you know. That's what I that's what I've do- always done with music is cool, put something out, and don't don't dwell on it. And what's next, you know? Like you got to, right. uh, but but we're promoting anthropogenic ruin, so get that. <laughs> Don't think about this. It's there is no future. Now on the <laughs> Listen, yep. there won't be a second album because it's the end of the world. Get this one and then Evan. go sit by a lake. And- <laughs> well, now, time. Uh, <laughs> but actually, I could promote it a little bit. Yeah. So we've got. So go we for it. Have, go for it. There's a limited amount of CDs left. Um, we did a, a run. We partnered with these dudes. Um, what is it? Metalhead Box. Metalhead Box. The subscription mm-hmm. service. And they were just so stoked on the record. And we were like, this is a great deal. And they, so like 400 people got the album. And we were like, this is killer. It's a great way to get the word out. Um, nice. So we still have a few copies of that left. That first pressing. We're going to have a limited cassette run coming out. And we're planning in 2024 to do some vinyl. So uh, Cool. Yeah. Just stay glued to our, you know, I guess not glued to social media but you could follow that <laughs> we kind of already are we beat yeah. you to it but <laughs> yeah and then you know but mostly support us directly through Bandcamp. that's like <clears throat> best way well we have we have very short on time here and we got to about three out of all the questions i had so thank you guys for <laughs> that but i do have one but while the, with very little time we have left i have one very important question i have to ask okay. if you could be any cereal box character who would you be Hmm. Nick, do you know right off the bat? Did you think? Did you go for your favorite cereal first and try to do that? Because that's that's what I did. I was like, I pictured like my favorite sugar cereal when I was a kid. Captain but I don't Prince think I want to. Kind of came into my head, but like, <laughs> who did? Captain Crunch. That's who came into my head. Oh, <laughs> get out of my mind. We, we, like, we'll leave that. that. We'll leave that to next time. Is Thank that, you guys. Definitely not. Definitely not the tricks rabbit. Okay. No, no way. Because it's like he never gets the tricks and he has to hang out with <laughs> kids all the time. It's just, it's a yeah, real raw deal for it's him. It's a nightmare. Oh, yeah. nightmare. He's Cap- only one Cap- tricks. All right. So both of us are Captain Crunch. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. Thanks, man. Uh-huh. That was Evan and Nick of Bacterial Husk, and thank God we got the goodbyes in there. I was worried about that for a second, because I don't know if you heard, one of them mentioned the time limit towards the end of the interview. I did not impose that on them directly. They were, as it turns out, seeing the time limit countdown Zoom hat up on the meeting to show that there's little time left to wrap things up. They were seeing that on the free app as I had set it up on the free app. So that was a fun thing to find. I'm not even kidding here. Right when they gave their final goodbyes is when the meeting ended itself. And I thought that it did not catch their goodbyes in the recording. I was a little concerned there, but 
We got it. Thank God. Still. Oh boy, that was a close one. Maybe might be a good idea to shell out a couple bucks for the Zoom program. Uh, but I do love, at the end of it all, that whole thing lasted for 40 minutes, right? Unfiltered, unedited. And I got out of 12 questions I wrote down, three of them into the span of that recording. Really only three of them. I love that. I think that is what makes it my one of, if not the favorite interview I did in the 2023 podcast season. Thanks, guys. A lot of fun. You just listened to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. That's a wrap for the 2023 season of the Metal Robot Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to take a bit of a break to tweak things up in the format and maybe also get some more videos done for the YouTube channel. We've been kind of leaving that on the back burner unintentionally, and there's a lot to get done for that. So make sure you subscribe to Metal Robot Reviews on YouTube for when you see videos coming out. They should be coming out hopefully this year, this month, even hopefully. Fingers crossed. In the meantime, thanks for listening to the Metal Robot Podcast. We'll be back probably by or for March, so make sure you subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at The Metal Robot, Instagram and threads at The Dot Metal Robot. I'm Tom McKay. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'll see you in the mosh pit next time. Have a good night and have a fun 2020 part four.